This is the Mark Podcast from Lifeway Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. You're invited to join Lifeway Women Insiders, an online community of women like you who want to grow in their relationship with God and connect with each other in meaningful ways. When you sign up, you'll get first looks at upcoming Lifeway Women Bible studies and events, the opportunity to contribute your voice to future Lifeway Women content through polls and surveys, and exclusive insiders-only discounts. Meet your soon-to-be friends at LifewayWomenInsiders.com. and welcome to the Mark Podcast. I am Elizabeth Heinemann, and I am here with my co-host, Kelly King. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Elizabeth. I This subject today, I feel a little out of my league. Same. Um, same. Okay, that's good. But we have a, a Lifeway friend with us, Drew Dixon. So, Drew, welcome to the Mark Podcast. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, yeah. let's just tell us about let's yourself, us. your yeah. family. Tell us what you do at Lifeway and a little bit about your ministry. And then sure. We're get, yeah. Then we're gonna get into the whole subject. <laughs> yes. All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I um, I've been married for almost fourteen years. I have three kids: eleven, eight, and five. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm a dad and uh, soccer coach. <laughs> Fun. Awesome. And uh, you know, just just coach my kids now. But I used to coach like seriously, like high school and club soccer. Oh, wow. Um, I mountain bike a lot. I play video games. I work at Lifeway. <laughs> so I'm uh, the team leader for student ongoing curriculum at Lifeway, which means I oversee all of the uh, quarterly curriculum that we publish at the student, so teenager, middle school, high school level. Um, I've been doing that. I've been in the team leader role there for two years, been in Lifeway for nine. Um, so a so, fun fact is that I think when we're recording this, it is all three of our Lifeway anniversaries. Oh, wow. Drew and I yeah. started on the same day. Nine years yeah, that's ago. right. Yeah, yeah we were <laughs> talking that, about that the other day. We were in the same orientation. Um, yeah. It was yeah. so exciting, the orientation yeah. meeting. Yes. I'll always treasure <laughs> so it. Fun. <laughs> inside insider information. Yes. For yeah, sorry. Kelly, did you, what, what year is this for you? This is number six. Yeah. Yes. I, I mean, I really kind of, I woke up this morning and I was like, oh, that's today. That's, yeah. So like, fun. That's fun. Okay. So, Drew, so our listeners would be familiar with ongoing curriculum such sure. as like Gospel Project or Bible Studies for Bible. Life or Explore yeah. the Bible. So, yeah, it's just so they kind of get some reference because yeah. we have, have that for all different ages, which is amazing. Yep. Oh, okay. So, the subject. You said yeah. you play video games. We are talking about video games, and I'm going to age myself right now. <laughs> the very first game I had that we plugged into our TV was Pong. Okay, so that <laughs> sure. is how old I am. Um, so it's come a long way. But you have a new book coming out called, mm-hmm. or it's come out, come called Know Thy Gamer. So let's talk about it. Yeah, yeah. So and I guess it's the part of my bio I didn't really get to. I was sort of having, I don't usually have as much fun with m- my bios. I don't know. Y'all inspired me for some reason to just like sort of riff on that. But, uh, <laughs> <There you go. laughs> 
But yeah, so I have also worked in um, like nerd ministry spaces for a long time. Yeah. Um, I do, I, I co-founded a ministry called Love Thy Nerd four years ago uh, that does ministry to geeks and nerds and gamers. So people who are into video games, comics, anime, um, board games, that kind of thing. Um, and I've been writing about video games for over a decade. So um, I think like when I was probably in, yeah, in seminary, well, actually just out of seminary, I was starting work at a church. Uh, that's when it was. I was starting work at a church and um, just realized that video games had evolved. They were way different than they were when I was a kid. There was a lot of interesting things going on in the world of video games, and Christians had very little to say about it, except for maybe, like, don't play them. Um, so I wanted to investigate that further and and kind of developed a side job for, for many years, um, wrote for lots of different websites and and even edited for different websites and things, ed editorials about video games from a Christian perspective, trying to help get to the bottom of why what games are, what they mean, why they matter, how we should think about them as followers of Jesus. And so, yeah, that led me to this opportunity now to write this book that's designed to help parents do that same work, to understand video games, because there's so many parents out there who have kids who love video games, and a lot of those same parents kind of don't really like that. <laughs> you know, they're not really super happy that their kids are as into video game video games as they are. And so the book is designed to help parents understand what video games are, how they communicate, um, what, and just, you know, develop a framework, a theological framework even for how to mm -hmm. think through them and, um, and how to help, help raise their kids, you know, to be faithful followers of Jesus in the midst of, of, you know, all this digital entertainment right at their fingertips. Yeah. I feel like, like you said, video games just don't have a great reputation. Um, Cause I feel like we, and probably wrongly so for years have just said, you know, they're lazy. They're like for children, all these different things. And they're not, um, and that's not true from what I've gathered and heard, but this video games gaming system is not a world that I'm super familiar with. Um, I think, we had an Atari when I was really little. That's like one of my first gaming systems, Kelly. Which which you probably could get a lot of money for nowadays. I mean, yeah. if you had an original. I don't yeah. think we still have it, but yeah. I remember playing like Frogger as like a preschooler. So yeah. <laughs> I remember doing that. Yeah. And then we had a Wii when I was a teenager. That's that's about it. That's what I had. But I am becoming more and more aware of like the gaming community in broader cultural in the broader cultural landscape. Like of Minecraft and I'm trying to think of the all the different ones. Fortnite. That I, yeah, Fortnite. Is that still a thing? Is that still I, a thing, Drew? Oh yeah, Fortnite's still okay. a, a okay. pretty big deal, yeah. Yeah. So what are some games and worlds that we should be aware of as those hmm. who just want to love our neighbors and engage with culture well? Because like you said, this is such a huge thing and so many people are really into it. And it feels like something we should at least have some understanding of. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, gosh, there's really so many. Um, I mean, what you said just now is, it's interesting that now we're actually in a space where um, there really are a lot of great games with long-standing, huge fan bases. Mm -hmm. So um, Fortnite is one of those that continues to be a big deal. Um, another one that's a 
big deal and continues to be, has been for a long time now is Minecraft. Um, so yeah, I think those are kind of, if you want to know what's like, what's a big deal in the world of video gaming, that's, those are two places to start. My kids are really into Roblox. Um, yes, I just heard of that the other day. Somebody got yeah. a gift card to a Roblox in, at a birthday party I was at. Oh, and I wow. hate it. <laughs> I hate how my kids are always asking me for money for Roblox. Um, that's the part I hate about it, which we can so get into later if you want. Yeah, but. I was going to say, is that something you, like a, you have to continue purchasing things? So there's a huge uh, trend in game design today that's been around for, well, over a decade now of what's called free-to-play games, which sounds wonderful, right? Who doesn't mm -hmm. love free stuff? But you get on these free-to-play games and uh, they are they are free to play, but there's all kinds of in-game things that you can't do unless you spend real-world money. Mm -hmm. So sometimes those are like you could buy mini games and Roblox, or you could buy outfits for your character, or texture packs for Minecraft or, or whatever else. Uh, Minecraft was not uh, is not free to play. You have to buy it, but there are lots of in-game purchases, and none of those existed in Minecraft until Microsoft bought the game from mm. from the guy who designed it. It's basically like one guy who designed Minecraft and now he's like a billionaire. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I think what I don't like sometimes about video games is that like they kind of nickel and, and dime kids and encourage kids to ask their parents for money constantly. Yeah, um, yeah and it's just, and, and, and some of these games like Fortnite is a great example of this, incentivizes kids to keep coming back every day to play because in Fortnite, the way it works is you earn V bucks by playing a certain amount each day, or you can actually spend like real world money and buy those V bucks. And then you can use those V, v bucks in the Fortnite's in game store where you buy like new outfits and dances that your character can do. Um, I'm not making this up. This is no, all true. I know. No, I, I, I am a little bit aware of the dances just from like. TikTok. I feel like yes. they, or just even Instagram, the like the oh, what is it called? There's been several moves that have been yeah. like, that have made it toward mainstream and the I, floss. The floss, that's what I was trying to think of. <laughs> yeah. The floss where I was just like, Oh, where did this originate? And it originated in a video game, which is yeah. crazy mm -hmm. to realize that that's how yeah. so so games when they do those kinds of things, and then a lot of other other games utilize what's called uh, loot boxes, which are another or a way that games can reward you for playing. So loot boxes are basically like slot machines, you know, mm -hmm. like um, it's the same. It's the same psychology that's used to d deny them, because um, researchers have known, psychologists have known for decades now that if a reward is random, and it's potentially like amazing but probably not that's actually more incentivizing to human behavior than if the reward is like set and everybody knows what it is mm. um so like the fact that when you play uh like overwatch is still pretty popular but overwatch used loot boxes so when you play overwatch which is like similar to fortnite i guess would be the way to put it. it's a team-based like shooter game um the fact that you could get the most rare, you know, outfit in the game in your loot box is actually encourages people to play more than if everybody, if you knew you were getting X outfit for your, your reward for playing. So anyway, it, those things are like not great always for the, the way children's brains are still developing. Um, 
And so, yeah, I think like, interestingly enough, it's not for me nowadays, it's not content that I worry about, like, and in, in, in other words, like violent content or sexual content. Those are things I'm concerned about. Don't get me wrong. Like I, right. we monitor everything our kids sure. play, but what I, what I think is the, the thing that parents should be aware of that they're often not is that whole like reward, reward structures of games. And mm. um, like, there's plenty of games that don't use that kind of psychology and they're wonderful and lovely. Um, you know, like like the Mario games or the Legend of Zelda games are great examples. Um, there are games that are just about exploring and the, the reward for playing is the experience of play itself. Um, or the reward is like the teamwork that you have to, to, to use to uh, to accomplish an objective. Those are all things that are like have intrinsic value rather than just extrinsic value of like winning some dumb outfit for your character. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well, we, we've had you on our list for a while to have on the podcast, but this is really good timing because Christmas is just around the corner. We know that games and systems are big items on a lot mm -hmm. of kids lists. So tell like as you know we've got a lot of moms that are listening to this what should they know before they start shopping and if there's anything that you would say hey you know i would probably steer clear of that particular game yeah yeah i mean i kind of a tip there's a few that are kind of obvious that i would steer clear of like i mean i think you know the grand theft auto series which is actually still really popular they haven't put out a new game in a long time but i would still say that's one that you should yeah. steer clear of yeah. Um, you know, but other than that, I think I really encourage parents just, there's a few little things you can do to educate yourself about what's in the games your kids are asking to play. Cause the reality of most parents out there is that their kids just know way more about video mm -hmm. games than they do. And so, and there's so much on the market. Right. I mentioned some big games earlier, but like there are thousands upon thousands of games that are released every year so it's impossible to keep up with it's a massive multi-billion dollar industry and so what you need i think what most parents need is just to know some s some tips and tricks to to know when when your child says hey i really want to play the new call of duty game um you know here's some things that parent can do to to know whether or not that's going to be okay for their kid um and and one is the esrb.org that's the that's the place esrb is the the um organization that rates video games just like movies are rated pg or pg-13 um games are rated as well so you'll see like e10 which means everyone 10 and up or like mature is everyone 17 and up uh, or 17 17 plus um but then the esrb will rate those based on their content so that's a good place to go. Um, I really like Common Sense Media. Um, it's a great website. So um, it's not a Christian website, but they do have very detailed reviews from a parental perspective. So it's going to tell you what kind of content is in the game in, in great detail so that you can then make an informed decision. And then another thing every parent can do is just watch, watch that game played. Mm -hmm. uh, whatever game it is your kid's asking to play, so they're, let's say they're asking to play uh, the new Modern Warfare game, um, you know, Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Um, well, you can go search for that game on online and and watch someone play it. So there's sites like Twitch and YouTube. Twitch.com is a place where people like stream themselves playing, so you're actually like watching mm -hmm. someone play live, um, and just watching for even two or three minutes, you're gonna see how violent a game is or like if it has 
language that you're, you don't want your kid, your kids uh, exposed to all those kinds of things. So yeah, I think just my encouragement to parents is just do a little bit of work to educate yourself and you'll be fine. Yeah, that was something I was not aware of until a few years ago. Um, we were visiting my brother-in-law and sister-in-law and my nephew had an actual green screen set up and he had set up his gaming system where people would go online and watch him play. And I thought, why do people watch other people watch, play games? <laughs> yeah. Is that to, to learn the inside tricks? I mean, that was my understanding mm -hmm. was that you kind of get some insider info. Is that yeah, I think it's some of both. It's you, you get to see, like, some people watch to see how someone beats a certain section of a game because they're stumped on it. Or, or they watch because the person who's streaming is really entertaining. So there's a lot of people that have made a, a following and, and make money streaming on Twitch because they're funny or, um, or they're really good. Some people do it you know, stream because they're just really good at games and they're fun to watch because it's sort of like, it's not that different from why people watch professional sports. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you can't throw a football like Tom Brady. Well, I can't play Rocket League like whoever the best Rocket League player in the world is. Yeah. I don't know. I don't watch professional Rocket League, but, but people do. Um, and so watching someone stream who's really good at something is kind of a similar concept, I think. It's very similar to like now kids will watch anything on YouTube. Like, They'll watch people playing with toys on YouTube yeah. and you're just, yeah. I don't get it, but you know, that's their generation. That's what they're doing. And so it's, I feel like it's similar to that as well. Um, but yeah. So as parents are setting boundaries, like you gave us some great tips on ratings and we'll have links to those places in the show notes. Um, but what are some other things that we should consider when creating good boundaries for yeah. kids or mm -hmm. maybe for ourselves and gaming? Sure. Yeah. Well, that's a great place to start. Like consider first before you start, you know, setting a bunch of new rules in your home or whatever, um, is kind of think about what's your relationship with media and screens, not just video games, but shows, TV, um, your cell phone, your smartphone, which is the place a lot of people play games or, mm -hmm. or scroll through social media, which I could argue is actually less valuable than playing a video game, <laughs> uh, or less valuable <laughs> use of your time. Um, you know, uh, so yeah, but you know, consider the kind of example you're setting, but I think it's really important. A big part of my book is challenging parents to think about how they talk to their children about video games and then how they, how they set rules. Um, so I think if you hate video games and you hate the fact that your kids play them, that's the first thing I think you need to work on. Unless you're just going to get rid of all of them out of your home. If you're going to remove video games completely from your home, but I'm guessing that's not most people. If you're going to allow your kids to play video games, you owe it to them to make an effort to understand them. Mm -hmm. And so ask questions. You know, you can, one of the things that you can do that's, I think will help video games be less of a source of contention is just, you know, say to your kids, why do you like this game? What, what's, what do you like so much about it? And, and, and listen, you know, mm -hmm. listen, uh, don't ask in such a way that's like, what's wrong with you? Why do you like this? Um, <laughs> but you know, ask to, to really get to know them. We should be, uh, students of our children, studying them and, and getting to know them. And we have to love our children as they are, not as we want them to be, you know? Um, and so, yeah, you may wish that your child wasn't a gamer, but they are, and if they are, they likely are, uh, then you need to love them. And so, um, 
Yeah, and, and once you once your children know that you're curious about them, that you care, that you make an effort to care about the things that they care about, then I think they'll be more receptive to those important conversations like, hey, let's talk about screen time limits. Mm -hmm. You know, let's talk about how much screen time is appropriate in this home and as a part of this family. Um, if they don't think you care, if they do, if you haven't made an effort to understand, then they're they're you know, um, you can actually make your kids uh, love certain things more if when you come down a psychology you know, studies uh, studies in psychology have shown this that if you come down super hard on something like video games, you actually it's actually kind of like you create an idol for them um, because it makes them want that thing more. And so yeah, you may get rid of video games from your home, but every time they go to their friend's house, they're gonna like binge mm -hmm. as yeah. much video game play as they possibly can. Um, you know, and so, so yeah, I think it's really important that we, we develop relationships with our kids where we can have important conversations so that, um, so that we're guides, we're disciplers, we're, we're not just, we're not just raising up Pharisees who know how to obey rules, but we're raising up you know, fathers of Jesus who yeah. um, understand the world and their place in it as, as Jesus followers. Uh, and you, yeah, you made a really good point too, just about, you know, if you, if you're setting time limits for your kids on games, how, how's your own screen time? Like evaluate mm -hmm. yeah. how much time you're, you're spending. Yeah. Sure. And I love mm -hmm. that you said to be a student of your kids. And I mm -hmm. think that's something that my parents modeled really well, mm -hmm. of just kind of getting into whatever me and my sister were into and my sister and I are very different people so we had lots of different interests and hobbies and it wasn't that both my parents were really into all the things that we were into but that I don't know if they had conversations behind our backs where they're like I'm gonna take this one and you take this one <laughs> but they would they would get into it like it's kind of like you know you have the soccer mom who may or may mm -hmm. not have ever played soccer in her life, but is really into soccer when her kids are playing soccer. So I think it's very similar to that. And I think that's a good parenting tip in general, but definitely um, when it comes to video games, like maybe even ask your child to teach you how to play it. And mm -hmm. you might find that you really enjoy doing that together, which would be like a fun hobby for you both to have together. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to enter their world, you know? Um, it may feel like foreign to you. It may even feel intimidating to you. You don't want to play because you're worried you're going to get destroyed or <laughs> it's going to be hard. But, you know, a lot of times when we, when parents, not always, but a lot of times when parents play games with their kids, it sort of the roles reverse and, you know, the kid becomes the Jedi and the parent becomes the pad the Padawan. You know, they're, they're the master, you're the learner, and usually those roles are reversed. But that's, I think that's kind of like... Um, like a picture of what Jesus does for us. Like he, he dwelt among us and took on human flesh and got to us on our level. And I think, I think that's a real powerful way to connect with your children. If they see you being willing to sort of humble yourself and do things that they want to do, um, they feel really cared for and loved. And so then when you have to sit down and say like, hey, it's time to talk about screen time rules, um, they're going to listen a little bit better. I, th I think some of my favorite ones that I did enjoy playing with my kids back in the day were like the Dance Dance Revolution game, mm -hmm. you know, where the whole family really got into that. And when everybody's over there, there's nothing funnier than watching your mom and dad like trying to do <laughs> the dances. And yeah, or, totally. um, I, I think it was was it called Garage? What was the one? That you, oh, yeah. Garage, garage Band. band or, or, um, we or no, you're probably one. thinking Rock no, was, Band. 
Rock or, band? Uh, guitar rock hero. Band, yeah, yeah. Guitar yeah. hero. Yes. Just because you had the guitar and drum. Like it was like, those were a blast and, mm-hmm. and I was terrible, but like the kids really didn't care as long as you, as you show an interest, just like you said about sports, you know, you show an interest in their sports and activities. And I knew nothing about soccer drew and my son, you know, played soccer, but as you know, he played all through high school and you learn, okay, all the rules and all those things. So it is, you just become a student of what your kids do. So that's a really great observation for sure. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Well, I've had friends that have used gaming as an evangelistic tool. They have like shared the gospel with their teammates that they're playing with through headsets, for example, that's like one way they did it. But how can believers, how can we as believers utilize gaming for the glory of God. Mm. Do you have any examples of where you've seen that done well? Yeah, I mean, I have a whole chapter about this in my book. It's called Games or Mission. It's the last chapter. And um, yeah, I think Jesus is a really good example of this kind of evangelism because, you know, he spent a huge portion of his ministry eating meals. Like, it's all over the Gospels. You see these little details about Jesus's, like, going to a meal or at a meal or talking about food. (laughs) Um, And I think that's a picture of like the way he did ministry is he figured out ways to spend time with people and connect with them. And so I think video games and lots of other hobbies give us that opportunity. Um, And and even like to contextualize it for us today, I think like we live in a really divided culture and a really divided time where it seems like sometimes that – it's really hard to start up conversations sometimes with unbelievers, mm-hmm. uh, with people outside the church. Uh, and, you know, video games give us this common vernacular, this, you know, something we can talk about that doesn't feel threatening. And when you go into a game, you all go in on the same, you know, footing. Um, you all have to abide by the same rules. Uh, a lot of times you have to work together, you know, if you play a squad or team based game. Um, and so those are shared experiences that I think we need sometimes in today's day and age to, to build the kind of relationship where we would ever be able to really speak truth into someone's life in a way that they would listen. You know, um, Of course, you can just jump online and start yelling through your headset about how people need to repent or whatever. <laughs> but, um, but I think it's better to play games with them for a little while, develop that relationship, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you become the person they want to talk to when things aren't going well. And then all of a sudden there's a window to talk to them about, about Jesus um, in a way that they might be actually prepared to listen. Wow. So that's a huge part of what Love Thy Nerd is about. It exists to be the love of Jesus to nerds and nerd culture. And we look for ways to like build relationships with gamers and nerds. We've gone to conventions and done relational ministry with gamers and nerds. Um, uh, been all over the country doing that kind of stuff and also just kind of through the website looking for ways to equip Christians to step into those spaces, investigate them, understand them, be curious about them, and then build relationships with people that might lead to, you know, sharing the gospel. So, yeah. It'd be interesting. I'd be really curious to know if we have missionaries who use this platform for, you know, kind of for evangelism. I, I mean, I still remember being in another country and walking into an internet cafe and seeing all these teenage boys with headsets on and they were playing with people all, all over the world, you know, and I'm thinking they're playing the same game that my son is playing, you know, in the States. And that would, that would be really interesting to see. Do you know if 
Do you know of anybody who might have that as a platform? Have you heard of that? Yeah, I mean, there some of the um, some of the uh, folks that love thy nerd stream on Twitch and do some of that, you know, do some kind of um, not necessarily like outright evangelism, but right. they do do you know look for ways to build relationships that will lead to to pointing people to Jesus. Um, and certainly through Love Thy Nerd, I've met people that do that kind of ministry. And I, I, you know, I think I've even done that kind of ministry myself before. Um, I just have, I just don't have much time for video <laughs> games lately. Yeah. <laughs> even though I wrote a book about it, like it's my video game time is rare these days. Um, but uh, it's understandable. I mostly play with my kids, so yeah, I'm ministering to my children when I play, right? So exactly, um, exactly. But yeah. Uh, so, okay, you're in student ministry publishing. That's your job that you do during the day. What are some of the things that's exciting you about what's happening in that area of work? Sure. Well, um, we're uh, working on uh, a really new, exciting uh, curriculum project that I can't say a whole lot about, but that's really exciting. There's going to be uh, some new, some really new cool things to announce soon in the student ministry space. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, mostly I guess I would just say, I, I just, I, I'm thankful for for all the curriculum lines we get to put out because I think they're all um, biblically sound, but also I think engaging. We're working really hard to make biblical, biblical soundness with creativity and fun. I think our, yeah, our studies are getting more and more engaging. And so that excites me. I had a friend uh, or mentor that would say, you know, the only thing worse than being heretical is being boring when you teach mm -hmm. the Bible. So, uh, of course, that's a bit hyperbole, hyperbolic, but um, but I think there's some truth there. Like, the Bible is amazing and beautiful and true, and so it should never. The way we talk about it should never be dull. Yeah. Well, if you just read it, you're like, this is in the Bible. This stuff is in the Bible. It's it's not a boring book at all. Like, yeah. No. You it's just approach it as a book. It's not at mm -hmm. all boring. So. I think we have uh, made it boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a pretty wild story if you yeah. slow down and like yeah. <laughs> think about what you're reading. There's, there's a few things that might be rated M, you know? Yeah. There might oh, be yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, if, Way yeah, to if bring you're... that back in, Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, doing my best here. <laughs> yeah. Well, the question that we always ask all of our guests is, um, because this is the Mark podcast, what mm -hmm. is something that has marked you in your walk with Christ? Excellent question. I think, um, like in the last few years, I would say it is, it's kind of like what I talked about earlier about Jesus's, uh, method of ministry. Um, I think we talk so much where we spend a lot of time talking about what did Jesus say and like what, what was his message that sometimes I don't think we give enough thought to his method, which is pretty fascinating and unique that he approached ministry uh, so often uh, from the context of a shared meal um, as something that I think has pretty radically changed the way I think about evangelism um, and the way I think about what it means to, what, 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 you know, what it means to witness to the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, I think like, uh, we're, we can be really good about understanding the, like, if you think about some of the creeds, are the creed, the creeds of the Christian faith focus on the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so we're really clear on that and what those mean sometimes, but the creeds almost say nothing about what he did for those three years on earth, you know, yeah. uh, which is an interesting thought experiment, but, 
um, that's, I think that's something I've been trying, like it's sort of been a personal quest of mine is to reclaim the life of Jesus too, as something that shapes, that shapes my life. Mm, that's really good. We do. I mean, I think it's a good practice even just to read through the gospels, you know, every so often, you know, pretty, mm. um, just kind of remind ourselves of all the things that he said and the ways that he connected with people on the earth. So thank you so much for, for sharing that with us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for well, sure. Drew, thank you so much for just your time today. And as we think about what this looks like, and we will have, you know, a link in the show notes to the book, Know Thy Gamer. It'd be a great way for parents to just have that as a guide over the next few months, especially as you're getting ready for Christmas. And then as you're thinking about that for your kids and we'll, um, you know, Drew, they can always contact you if they want to know what, what game to get their kid. Right. You know, like you want thousands yeah. and thousands of <laughs> emails from our listeners, right? Sure. Why not? I mean, why not? Why if not? you buy my book, then you can ask me a question. How about that? There you go. <laughs> there you go. All right. Totally well, kidding. Thank but, thanks yeah. so much, Drew. And thanks listeners for joining us this week. And we will be back next week. All right. Yeah. Thank you. This month, we're hearing from a few people who have been marked by the ministry of Operation Christmas Child. Today, we're hearing from Judy. Judy, how has your life and walk with Christ been marked by Operation Christmas Child? Yes. So, Elizabeth, first of all, thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to yes, just be part of um, this amazing ministry. And my name is Judy, and I'm original from Honduras. And from the day that I was born till 16 years old, I grew up in 14 different orphanages. Mm. At two years old, that's when I got separated from my siblings. Um, but then I went to another orphanage, and the orphanage that I went to, it started with two kids, and then it grew up to 550 children. At wow. the beginning, we didn't have electricity, there was no water, and if we had three meals, it would be more like a tortilla and salt. But one thing that I was so grateful to have was an education because in so many of the orphanages in Honduras, the children did not have the opportunity to go to school. I remember I was only six years old and I was in my classroom when we heard a helicopter coming and landing in our soccer field in the orphanage. We didn't know what was going on. I just remember our teacher divided us in different ages and told us that they're going to give us something, but that we were not allowed to open it until everybody received their own. So mm -hmm. from these brown boxes, they start getting mm -hmm. these small little shoe boxes. And I was one of the first ones in line and they gave me my shoe box gift. And I remember, even though they said, you are not allowed to open it <laughs> until everybody received their own. I tapped one of the missionaries' shoulder and I said, excuse me, ma'am, can I open my gift? And then they say, no, you have to wait for everybody to <laughs> That's get their so own. hard. <laughs> it was really hard, especially being six years old. But the reason why I asked the question was because my friends who were beside me, they had the clear shoe boxes, mm -hmm. the ones that you are able to see everything on it. So <laughs> my eyes were so right right open, seeing all these items, items that I have not even seen before. So I patiently wait, and then after everybody has received their shoe boxes, 
the missionaries, they pray for us, they share the gospel, and then we all at the same time come to three, and that's when we open our presents. And I remember when I opened my shoebox gift, one of the first items I saw was a set of 10 pencils, and I screamed as loud as I could, because in my orphanage at the beginning of the school year, they will give us one notebook and one pencil, and it has to last us the entire year. But knowing that that year, I didn't only receive one pencil, but a set of 10 pencils for me, that was a huge blessing. Also too, in my shoebox gift, there was a, a toothbrush and same thing, I got so excited because in the orphanage, before receiving my own shoebox gift, I have to share the same toothbrush with 25 other girls. Mm-hmm. And knowing that for the first time I had my own for me, I was so excited about it. But then there were so many more items in there, but something that it caught my attention a lot what that was the picture of the little girl who packed my gift. Mm-hmm. And a note that simply said, Jesus love you and I love you too. And at that moment, I was only six years old. I was more excited about all the items that were inside of my gift. One, because it was my first Christmas present. But two, for the first time, I had something that I can say is my own and I don't have to share with anybody else. (laughs) Because normally in my orphanage, if there was a pair of shoes or a pair of socks, the first one that come in line, that would be the one that would receive it. So when the shoe bags made an impact in my life was at the age of 13 years old. In the orphanage, I can no longer continue my education Mm -hmm. because the orphanage didn't have financial support for my class to continue going to school. So due to that, I have to cook in a kitchen for 120 boys, but every other Sunday, I didn't have to cook. So I remember one specific Sunday when I didn't have to cook, I had a box similar to the shoe box. Mm -hmm. But in that box, I had pictures and letters from missionaries and volunteers that had came through the orphanage through all those years that I was there. And they gave us letters and pictures just to encourage us. And I remember taking that box with me on a specific Sunday when I didn't have to cook to the mountains in the orphanage. And I was just angry, angry at God for the life that I was living. Mm -hmm. I was angry at him because he had separated me from my siblings, including my twin sister. I was angry at him because I felt hopeless. I felt that there was no future for my life. And I remember that after hours of being crying, I even questioned him. Mm. And one of the questions I asked him was, if you are real, show it to me. Show it to me because I don't see you here. And I remember opening the box that I had with me and the first thing once again I saw was the picture of the little girl who sent my shoebox gift when I was only six years old Mm -hmm. in her note that said, Jesus love you and I love you too. That's so sad. In the midst of pain, in the midst of strugglings, Mm -hmm. when I felt that God was really far away from me simply because I was an orphan, he was always there for me. The little girl who packed my gift and her family didn't know me. They didn't know my story, but they took their time to pack a simple shoebox. And that day, I embraced God's love. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior at 13 years old Mm -hmm. because of the shoebox gift that I received when I was only six years old. That same day, I also received another special gift, and it was a Bible. When I opened it, the first Bible verse I saw was Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, 
plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but plans to give you a hope and a future. And I will be honest with you, that day God changed my life. Mm. My plans were different than God's plan. And I trust in Him. I had faith in Him. And now He blessed me in so many ways. And now because of that, you know, I have the blessing to serve like right now with Operation Christmas Child, where I have the blessing to go and share not my testimony, mm-hmm. but the testimony that God has entrusted me with through the testimony that He has given me. And I feel like that's the way that God has marked my life, you know, and that that's the way that I have the blessing, you know, to one, be part of Operation Christmas Child, but also to have the blessing to pack shoe boxes and show other kids through a simple shoe box, you know, that Jesus loves them, that he cares for them, that he has a plan for them. And because of this, you know, I feel like I have the blessing to be able to be part of the ministry and be a full circle mm-hmm. where I am not only receiving the shoe box. I mean, I, I didn't only receive the shoe box. Mm-hmm. Now I'm packing it, but also too through a simple box that there's items, you know, that are for some people, it might be insignificant, but those items for me were so significant. Mm-hmm. But it's not about what it goes inside of the box. It is what goes beyond. And it is about sharing the gospel, you know, uh, telling other kids that Jesus loved them and that they are belong, you know, that they belong to him. So mm-hmm. that's part of my testimony and how Operation Christmas Child has marked my life in this way. Mm-hmm. I love hearing that. And I also would just encourage people as they pack boxes, include a picture of you and a note saying that Jesus loves you because it's true. And so um, thank you so much for sharing that, Judy. I'm so happy that we got to have you on here to tell your story. Um, and I am looking forward to seeing how God uses shoeboxes this year as well. Yes, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you once again, Elizabeth, for just giving us the opportunity to be part of your um, broadcast and we really appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Thank you. As you just heard, Operation Christmas Child delivers great joy and the good news of Jesus Christ to children in need around the world through gift-filled shoeboxes. Operation Christmas Child collects more than 10 million gift-filled shoeboxes each year and distributes them to boys and girls in over 120 countries. And in the hands of local churches around the world, shoeboxes become a tool for evangelism, discipleship, and multiplication. You can go to SamaritansPurse.org OCC to learn how to pack a shoebox. You can purchase a shoebox through their website or just use your own from your closet. You can get your label on the website and decide what gender and age group you're packing for. Then you can fill it with gifts. But the most important step, as you've heard, is praying over the shoebox for the child who will receive it. Donate $10 to cover shipping costs and then drop off during National Collection Week, which is going on right now until November 21st at your nearest location. And there are over 4,500 drop-off centers across the country, so you can find the closest one to you by entering your zip code on the website. If you don't have time to pack a physical shoebox, you can now pack a box online through the Build a Shoebox online program. Virtually pack your shoebox and choose what gifts are included. And those shoeboxes will go to countries that are closed to the gospel. 
They're literally taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, and you can be a part of it. Again, you can go to SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC, and we'll have the link in the show notes as well. We would love for you to join us in sharing the gospel through shoeboxes this year. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly D. King and at E.D. Heineman. Use the hashtag Marked Podcast to connect with us. You can also find Lifeway Women on all social media channels at Lifeway Women. All of today's show notes will be posted at LifewayWomen.com slash podcast. If you love the show, leave an iTunes review. It's a great way for other people to hear about the podcast. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time.